And we are live. Welcome, everybody, back to another edition of Up in Flames. I appreciate you if you're tuning in and listening live. I appreciate you if you're listening here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. As always, I am your host, Mo Murphy, and I got a special, special guest. We're going to be bringing him here in a second, but we'll be right back to you right after this. Warning. You are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames. Yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Yeah, uh, we up in flames. Hold on, uh, check this go. We up in flames, yeah. Uh, we up in, uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Woo. We up in, yeah, we up in flames, we up in flames. Yes, 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 and we are live. As promised, I told y'all I got a special guest. I got my guy, Derek Murphy, a.k.a. D. Murph. We are of no relation. I got I got to throw that out there. We are not related. But this is my guy right here. You know, we linked up in Houston, what, back in August? What, what we linked back up in August? Had a, yeah, August it's been that long. Yeah, August or September has been that long. Uh, you know, I was on his show, and as promised, I would bring him on mine. So before we get into the good stuff, talking basketball, uh, D. Murph, just give us a background about yourself, you know, what you do, and kind of the platform that you have and that you run. Well, first off, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity, man, to uh, be on this platform. And uh, I want to give you a shout out, too, because when I kicked off my Road to 500 campaign, you were the first guest on Why Not Sports, which is uh, a platform that talks about the good, bad and the ugly uh, of sports and how it impacts your everyday life. Um, been podcasting since 2016, former athlete, just finding my my way into this thing called uh podcasting and still juggling family life career wise and loving what we do man consistently uh dropping content similar to you man so just ready to man to you know bring the heat and i have another platform uh non-sports related where it's just an open forum where guests can tell their truth without no judgment or no restrictions because you know as a man of color we typically uh, get judged just because because of the color of our skin. But that's for another show. But overall, I'm hosting two podcasts. And check me out on uh, wherever you listen to, uh, you know, Mo Murph. For the exception of Dash Radio, you can find the podcast there. Yeah, 100%. And it's just, you know, it's crazy how we link together. Just started creating content. You know, you follow me. Uh, I started following your stuff, you know, after I got the follow. And then, you know, it was like we come find out, like, I live in Corpus. You live in Houston. You be back and forth to Corpus. So it's like, it's almost like we were put in each other's life for a reason. Right. And so now right. we're about to get into the reasons of why we were put into each other's life. We're going to talk ball. You know, uh, we talked ball on your show. We we had a conversation when we sat down. We were talking sports for about two hours, sipping on a couple drinks, you know, had a, had a good time out there in Houston. So, yeah, so we're we going to get straight into it. We're going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. If you're listening live, obviously, you're probably listening simultaneously while watching uh, the Lakers play the Brooklyn Nets. This is being recorded on Tuesday. But uh, 
is the Lakers championship window closed? And when I say that, they have LeBron James, the, one of the ultimate champions this sport has ever seen, been to the finals 10 times, won four championships. They got Anthony Davis, who has a championship under his belt. They got Russell Westbrook, a.k.a. Mr. Triple-Double. They put together a big three. Not as quite as potent as the big three that he went that he had in Miami, but nonetheless a big three to compete and win the championship. You know, they got knocked out in the first round last year, injuries and what have you. And then they, they put together a team and they're not looking great. You know, they 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 might be the team on a later segment uh that you choose. They won't be my team, but still they they, they belong in that category. But is their championship window closed in your opinion? Championship window far as this season. Or with the core group that they have? With the core group that they have. Essentially, will LeBron... It's, I guess more so the question is, will LeBron win another championship in a Lakers uniform? He will. I don't think this year. Um, based on the observation, it's a lot of tension. It's a lot of toxic energy from, you know, what we've seen. A lot of inconsistencies, whether, you know, the lineups changes, injuries... Still trying to find that chemistry. You play sports. Obviously, y'all play sports. Chemistry goes a long way, man. If you don't have chemistry and you guys can, you know, share each other's success, it's kind of hard to put yourself in a winning, you know, situation. And uh, right now with the Lakers, man, they line up. I can't even remember how many lineups that they have had. Coach Vogel missed some games, so then they had to have a new, you know, a different coach to try to, run, you know, uh, coach that squad. It's just, it seems like it's just discombobulated right now, man. But um, as an individual of each, Melo, Russ, Dwight, obviously LeBron, individually, they they dope. Um, but real life, putting it all together, I don't see them winning no championship this year, man. And they still trying to figure out what to do with THT. Um, yeah. Stanley. You know, it's just they still don't have a core starting five to really put them over that hump, in my opinion, based on my years of watching the sport. Yeah, and I think here's what before I say before I 100% agree with you, I have to wait until after the all-star break because there's been there's been one variable that's been very consistent the past three years, and it's been Russell Westbrook last year with the Washington Wizards. Russell Westbrook yeah. started off slow. Looked like it wasn't his legs that he had to get up under him. It was just his game. He just he didn't look like Russ. Even in Houston when he was with James Harden, he didn't look like Russ that first half of the season. They come back after All-Star break. He wasn't averaging a triple-double. He averages a triple-double. Last year, you see with Washington, they were a bad team. Turn around. Yeah, they still didn't have the greatest record, but they did make the playoffs. That That is something to consider is that he was able to turn it around. So it seems like the past three years, uh, even his last year in OKC, it just seems like the past three years is the second half is when Russ really takes off. So I guess if he does decide to do that, then what will and it won't necessarily be his decision. Maybe that's just how he operates at this point in his career. But I think what we'll have to pay attention to is when Russ is playing at his best. Does he fit with LeBron James? Because when they acquired Russell Westbrook, I said it didn't make much sense because to a lesser degree. Russell Westbrook's role on the team is the exact same as LeBron James. Facilitate, get guys included in the offense, and, and get yours whenever because you know you can get yours whenever. Westbrook is a terrible free throw shooter. To be a six four, six foot four point guard, terrible free throw shooter. Not, I don't know what happened to his mid-range. 
Westbrook used to be deadly in the mid-range. Like, people forget because he's been such a bad shooter, but his stop and pop on a fast break was arguably one of the greatest stop and pops I've ever seen. He can't shoot a three to save his life. And I'm okay with not being a great three-point shooter because then you have another guy who's in the MVP conversation who's not a three-point shooter, and that's DeMar DeRozan. He can hit him when he needs to, and I think that's what separates DeRozan and how he plays right now at this point in their career from Westbrook is DeRozan can hit him if he needs to, but that's not his preferred shot. He doesn't look to shoot him. He don't want to shoot no more than two to three threes a game. And even still, that'll probably be a lot. You see you see games where he doesn't shoot him at all. But I'm, I'm waiting to see because Anthony Davis just came back from injury. You have LeBron who's been playing out of his mind offensively. What, the past 17 games, there's only been one player playing at a higher clip offensively than LeBron James. That's been Joel Embiid. Like, and then obviously consistently throughout the season, Kevin Durant is the only player who averages more points per game. But before, you know, so I want to ask is what LeBron doing right now? Is it one of the greatest feats we've seen from an athlete not named Tom Brady? I mean, when you factor age, you factor performance, like LeBron has an average 29 points a game since prior to Miami. Like, has he done it in playoff series? Yes, we've seen him. But as far as in a season up to this, he hasn't averaged 29 points a game since his time in Cleveland prior to Miami. So is what LeBron doing on an individual clip, is it one of the most amazing things you've seen from a basketball player at this age? And you're a little bit older, so you'll have more experience seeing some of these, the Jordans, uh, the Olajuwans. I remember the Shaqs, the Kobe's all them late in their career, but you was there with Jordan and Olajuwon, Barkley, towards the end of their career when they were around this age. None of them were doing what LeBron is doing individually, offensively. So is it not impressive what LeBron's been able to at least get to as an individual this year? And I'm going to answer that question before I bring up, you brought up the big three with Miami, with LeBron. Bosh, Wade, it took them a year Mm -hmm. ish too to for them to find or understand their role and i believe if no one is traded as far as the core doing this trading deadline that's coming up you know very soon i believe they can potentially you know climb that ladder and get over that hump now to answer your question never seen it never even thought that lebron at this age will be scoring as many points still elevating his game, still jumping out the gym, still playing defense. I went to the game uh, about a month ago when they played Houston. I'm looking at the, the the small details, getting back on defense, hustling, calling defensive plays. Hey, pick left, pick right. I'm a fairly close to the world. That many years in the league and still have the passion and, and the love for the game. And then, like you said, rebounds, assists, Backward alley you dunks from Monk. Yeah. What, two, three? You know what I'm saying? Like, LeBron, man, one of the best to ever do it. I I'm impressed. It's definitely inspiring. And you, 30, 10, and 9, 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 9,000 assists, leading vote getter for All Star in yeah. Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. Like, at yeah. this many years in the league. Salute to him, brother. Nah, no, to answer your question, I, I'm I'm still in awe. And I, I think he's becoming, in, 
he's not just undisputed the GOAT like Tom Brady is. I think Brady has reached the clip. He's undisputed the GOAT, at least at his position. Braun is the greatest small forward, but it's different being labeled the greatest small forward as opposed to being labeled the greatest quarterback. Because the quarterback is the most position, most important position in football. We know that. But when you just look at the clip that they're able to play at, like you look at LeBron at 37. If somebody would have told you six years ago that at 37, LeBron's going to average 29 points a game. He's going to have a, a streak of 17. You know, he's going to outdo what he was doing in his prime. And we've said this has been the longest extended period of a prime that we've ever seen because we're not sure he's ever gone out of it. But just based on, to me, your prime is anywhere from 26, 27 to 32, 33. Those are the best years of Hall of Fame guys that we get. That's your prime. That's when championships start becoming a factor. That's when you put your name on the map. And in those years, that's where you stamp your legacy, whatever your legacy may be. And for LeBron to have really never backed off since then, I mean, after 33, it's like, nah, you can't play greater than that. 34 years old, he does it. Then 35 years old, he does it. Then 36, and you start to see injuries creep up, and you're like, okay, this is the this is the the downward slope for LeBron James. And then he comes out this year, and it's like, yeah, no, yeah, no, that is there is no downward slope for me at least right now. We know Father Tom is undefeated, catches up to some a lot quicker than it catches up to others. But at the end of the day, it is undefeated. I think it's just prolonging and kind of letting us hit at that period of appreciate greatness. Appreciate LeBron while he's here. Let's appreciate what he does, what he has done for the sport. And then, you know, Father Time will kick in because eventually he's going to be out of the league. And it's going to be like when Kobe was gone, you know, the, the, the diehard Kobe fit, it wasn't the same for a while. You had to adapt and adjust to the game without your favorite player. LeBron is one of those guys like, so many people in the world watch basketball because of LeBron James. When he leaves, you're going you're gonna to miss that. When Tom Brady leaves football, you're going to miss that. Even being, you know, a fan of those teams that played against Tom Brady, like you're, you took for granted the greatness that you were witnessing. And this doesn't come every two to three years. There's not a guy coming out every two to three years in the draft. We could say there is. We could project there is. But there's not a LeBron James, a next LeBron James playing basketball right now. Like, there might wow. be one that was born, but there's not one in the game right now. High school, college, NBA, there's not a guy that we would stamp and say he's going to repeat or keep come even close to what LeBron did. And it was similar. We had to wait to see what Kobe was going to be before we thought there was going to be another Jordan, before we thought there was going to be somebody close to Jordan. And then here came Kobe. And it's like, well, when Kobe leaves, who's going to be able to, to match that? Up oh, here comes LeBron James. And then, then you get that era of Steph, KD, James Harden. But none of those guys have done what they've done. Now, Mo, I, I, I'm glad to be on this show because when you were speaking, you know, LeBron James came in the league in the early 2000s. Yeah. The style <laughs> of game was different. Bro, I was nine years old. I was nine years old when LeBron came in. I grew up on LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I know I grew up on Kobe and them too, but Kobe had been in the league for what eight years before LeBron came in. I grew up on the, the LeBron, Wade, Bosch, all those guys. And I was nine years old when they came in. 2003, still dominating the league. Here it is, 2022, a whole new style of play. And he's still demolishing these young cats. Yeah. Again, it's it's speechless. It, it is speechless at Thomas. Like you try to explain it, but you don't have an explanation. Like you you can break it down. We can talk about how he's doing it 
as far as a film level, like what we see, but it's unexplainable. Like how you're able to do this and th- you're still catching alleys. You're still doing reverse dunks. Like it's almost like you took a step back in athleticism and you're still arguably the most athletic player in the NBA. Like it, that's, that's unexplainable. That's something that when you tell, you know, your kids, you're telling your grandkids about it. Like it's almost going to be like telling a story about Tarzan. Like, it's just like the, the young kids now hear about Jordan. They seen the last dance and, it was almost like telling a let a, a, a folk tale. Like that's like yeah. reading Burr Rabbit or Burr Bear or something. Like, you know, take it back right. to the like that's what it is. And and LeBron is that guy. Uh I think just real quick, uh, so I want my mind went somewhere else. We're pre-recording, so I'm gonna ask you and then we'll we'll get back. January 26th. We are recording on January 25th, January 26th. Two years, and, and I didn't put this in the topic, so I am throwing you off, but this is heartfelt. Uh, it, is the two-year, you know, since, since we lost Kobe Bryant. So I just want to ask real quick, what did Kobe Bryant, when, when, he, when he passed, you know, he got in that helicopter accident, what, what was, that's going to be one of those, we'll always remember where we're at, we'll remember the situation. Yep. So even two years later, like, how did the death of Kobe Bryant impact you? For me, it was more than basketball. Um, I have kids. I have daughters as well. Um, my daughter is playing ball in Corpus Christi. I've just seen her um, a few weeks ago and just made me realize, man, spend time with your loved ones, man. And what he was able to accomplish outside of the game is inspiring me as a former athlete to know that I can conduct myself, have a you know conversation, and I can be, you know, uh, award winning and link up with people of influence of authority and not just be like that typical oh and he won you know oscars and children's books and have you know his own basketball academy like you can't put kobe in a square or in a box because he's done so many things and for me that just his death has made me realize that there is more that you can achieve with basketball was kind of like the foundation for him to put it all together and leave his legacy for his families and others who actually, you know, supported him and who loved him, you know, dearly. Yeah. And I remember the day he passed, you know, uh, up to that point, we were seeing what uh, hoaxes of Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker, uh, and whoever else, like the internet's a crazy place. Clickbait. You know, it, it, they, they put a caption and then it's just a whole nother story or, or to get reactions. And, and obviously on the Twitter world, like retweets and likes and all that. So it, it didn't seem real. But then it's like, you know, the Pro Bowl is about to be played. You know, the basketball games about to be played. And you're like, until I'm watching ESPN, until I hear it on ESPN, it's no. Like, but then you start seeing those verified that the, all the news people are, are covering it. They're at the scene and you're like, OK. Then you start hearing all these crazy things. Robert, you you heard uh not Robert Ory, um Rick Fox. Fox. Rick Fox was in the, the helicopter. You start hearing this, you hear his whole family was in the helicopter. Then you're like, so there's you're you're never getting full information, you're never getting the truth at that point in time. And then it finally comes out that it was him, you know, Gianna, and a couple other families with, with their kids heading to go play, you know, at, at his daughter's basketball game and Tracy McGrady, you know, he he's talked about how it impacted him because he was there waiting. Like, Kobe, they were supposed to play against his kids. So, like, that's what they did. So, they were there waiting. And, and he took, did a routine 
you know, I ride in a helicopter everywhere. That's what I do. Like, you know, it wasn't even a flex for him. It was just like, I'm not sitting in traffic. I'm not sitting in LA traffic. I got money. I'm a helo it everywhere. I, listen, I got enough money. I made a living to be able to do that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip the traffic. I'm going to worry about the air traffic. So it just seems so unreal. And even two, looking back two years, you know, it's already been two years and it's like his legacy lives on. I think people were impacted and his fans have grinded harder. People who, who were attached to the NBA were has grinded harder. And, and I, I just think his death left an impact that there's not a lot of people that, that when they pass and it's not a knock on, on important people and celebrities, but there's not a lot of people that's going to leave that same type of legacy uh, that Kobe left. But you know, no. that's, that's just my words on it. Just it, it popped up in my mind for some reason. So I just wanted to get your it, thoughts. That's what but, we do. Man. That's what we yeah. do. But we're going to get back and we're we going to talk about the most surprising team this year. Uh, yes. We've had some teams that have outplayed expectations so far. Uh, about to head into the all-star break. We've had some disappointing teams that haven't played up to expectations. There's a few of those that stick out to me. But when you talk about most surprising team, a team that you couldn't have projected their success prior to the season, who who was that team for you? The all-star game will be held in this city. The Cleveland Cavaliers, man. Surprise. Like, I'm looking at that. I've looked at that roster from that championship team. Yes, a few years ago, they only got Kevin Love. And with that being said, they're fifth in the East. Colin Sexton, out for the season. Ricky Rubio, out for the season. Here comes Darius Garland. Should be an all-star. Here come Evan Mobley. If not number one, number two in the rookie of the year, you know, talk. And, yeah, it's... Man, fifth in the East, with all what I just said, I would have never thought. Then, yeah, I would have never thought. So that'll be my surprising team, man. The Cleveland Cavaliers right now. Yeah, and it's crazy because that's that's mine too. And and like you said, fifth in the East. When Colin Sexton went out, I counted out Cleveland. Like, yes. And then I'm like, they're too big. Then they traded for marketing, and I'm like, I don't really know if they fully have a direction. Like, you got Kevin Love, marketing, Evan Mobley, who's been an amazing rookie, by the way, and I didn't doubt him as a rookie, but you still, you sometimes look and put a cap on how important a rookie's going to be to a team's success. His rookie year, like when he's not what we thought Zion would be, when he's not, you know, the number one pick. Like, yeah, he has that what we project them to be in a couple years. But as far as being this important and playing this well as a rookie, uh, definitely has thrown me off. And, and then, you know, with Jared Allen, got that fat contract, and there were a lot of people that were like, no, he's not worth $20 million a year. Uh, we not seeing it. But now he's an important piece for the team instead of just a role player. Like now that the, the team rolls through Jared Allen, his defensive prowess is it's almost like – I. Rudy Gobert-like, but at the same time, I think he has better footwork to where he's not just trapped out on the outside. He could step up out there. Is he shutting down these today's guards? No. But can he slow them down? Can he make them change direction? Okay, I know he's faster than me. I see my guy over there. I just need to make him change direction. That's it. I need to get him over there. And Rudy Gobert has kind of been criticized because he can't do that. And, his play, and I think Jared Allen can. He's shown he can do it. He, he'll play out there. Yeah, he's not the guy where, like, okay, if I bring him to the outside, I'm at the advantage. Even in today's big men, you got Jokic, you got Embiid, you know, you got Anthony Davis, even Giannis. I know 
your big more majority of times your big men are guarding Giannis and they could go from the outside in. And so with Jared Allen out there, it's not at a disadvantage. What Cleveland has done as it looked like the only light for Cleveland was that the all-star game is in the city of Cleveland. That looked like that was the expectation. We heard rumors. Kevin Love was going to be out of there, go to Brooklyn or would he link back with LeBron, you know, Miami heat were interested Portland trailblazers. Does he finally get over there after hearing his name attached there with rumors? Like, so we didn't even think Kevin Love would be on this roster last year. It looked like Kevin Love didn't even love basketball. He didn't want to be there. This year is a totally different. He's buying in. He's being that veteran. He's showing he's got. He's a champion. So you're you're gonna listen to a former champion. At the end of the day, that guy knows what it takes. And he played with great players. He played with an all time great in LeBron James. He played in one of the best talents we've ever seen on the basketball court in Kyrie Irving. So he knows what it takes. And he has Darius Garland. And obviously this year, no Colin Sexton, but he has that point guard and be like, look, bro, I seen Kyrie. Like, I, I firsthand in practice, I've seen the work he put in. If you could do this, you might not be Kyrie because I think Kyrie's more naturally gifted on top of the yep. work he puts in. That that happens. Some guys are a little more gifted. Some guys got to work a little harder. But seeing that, learning from Phil Handy, who's arguably, what, the best player development coach in the league and deserves a head coaching spot. This is my pitch for Phil Handy. Somebody hire that man. Next person that gets fired, Handy should step in. But – He's seen all that from all-time people at their spot, and even Ty Lue, who was a really good coach. And so I just look at Cleveland, and it's got to be surprising. Nobody would have said they'd be competitive to the point where, at best, they're a play-in. And even when Colin Sexton went out, you kind of counted them out. You didn't, we didn't have any expectations for them. So to be at the 5 seed, I fully agree with you uh, with Cleveland. And then another surprise team, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but – I have to, I got to give credit to Denver and I'm not surprised that they're good, but I am surprised that Jokic is able to play at this level by himself. Like, and I'm not, I don't want to down the, the supporting cast, but like, yeah, no, no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. And I know Jokic is a great player, but like his great play is leading to wins and like he's keeping them afloat. He's keeping that train going that when Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. come back, if they are coming back this season, Denver could be, once again, right back to that same scary team that you don't want to have to face in the seven-game series. But Jokic is playing possibly better than last year, and he was the MVP of the league last year. He has a case for back-to-back -back MVP, and that's been without his two best players outside of him. And you take away, that's their big three, I guess. Uh, you take away any other... You take away AD and Westbrook from LeBron, what, what's really the expectation? You see what happens when you took away AD. You, you take away uh, KD and Kyrie, and you see what happens with Harden or vice versa with KD. He can win a couple games, but you take away Harden and Kyrie, and it's tough because that team isn't so deep after that. So I, I just I won't say I'm surprised, but I am a little bit that, that they are where they are with with just Jokic and obviously him playing at an MVP has led to wins and keeping that team afloat. So I do got it. I just felt I needed to give kudos for for Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. I got to give kudos to Jeff Green, who went to Denver and dunking on cats like 10 years ago, like Uncle Jeff. Like, yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah. And he's been that that's been his game since he's been in the league. And it's like it's another guy who's like underrated as far as like He's been able to consistently be the same player for this many years. Like, people don't realize, man, Jeff Green was in what? Memphis, Boston. Uh, I think 11, he, bro. 11. Yeah. 
Like, so, so he's been places, he's played with players, but at the same time, he's always been a nice piece to have. Like, yeah, he's, he's, you know, Jamal Crawford played for a lot of teams. Lou Williams had played for a lot of teams, but they've always been a guy like, it's like, we don't want to commit to you long-term, but we'll take you for, you fit what we're doing right now. And then it's just like the next team, you fit what we're doing right now. The next team, you're too good to pass up. You fit what we're doing right now. And so not everybody's a hall of famer. Everybody just gets in where they fit in and create a long career. And I think that's what Jeff Green has done. So he definitely, definitely got to salute him, you know, for, for the role that he stepped up and, and, you know, showed up and showed out for uh, playing for the Denver Nuggets with no Jamal Murray and uh, uh, no Michael Porter. So this is the good one. This, this is the one where you get to kind of take the analytics out. We ain't got to talk great about the, the most disappointing team. He just talk bad about a team, team that you can't believe. So for you, who is your most disappointing team at this point in the NBA season? As much as it took me a lot to not talk about this team negatively because they had a, a very decent season and made some changes at head coach, the Atlanta Hawks. Nate McMillan, I watched him with Gary Payton, hard nose, grit, defensive mind. The team doesn't have no identity. Trey Young balling. Okay, but like we said, you cannot. And history has shown you will not be able to be successful by yourself. The team right now aren't that hot. I think they, what, 10th? They're they down in the Eastern Conference right now. They're 11th um, right now. 12th. I mean, 12th in the Eastern Conference. My bad. 12th. This is even worse. And preseason, they were ranked in the top five or mm -hmm. playoff contender. You add, you got uh, Collins, who just got a nice contract. You brought Clint Capella from the Rockets, Houston Rockets. So just with them, their quote-unquote big three, I would have thought with the head coach of Nate McMillan, they would have an identity and not be as far down as they are. And as we know, it's about wins. Um, not individual accolades, and even from the games I've seen, that still <clears throat> excuse me, that still don't seem like a Nate McMillan type team. And yeah, that'll be my most disappointing team, man. Especially from the success they had uh, last season, for sure. And, and that's that's where it goes to is like this is a team that made the Easter Conference Championship, and it's crazy because with them being disappointing. They're eight and a half games out of first place, not eight and a half games out of a playoff. That goes to show how tight and how loaded the Eastern Conference is. This is probably the most loaded. A team that talented is down towards the bottom. This is probably the most loaded I've ever seen in the Eastern Conference. Like, this is what, you know, the Western Conference in their prime days, this is what the West was. The 12th best team in the West is easily a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. This is, is different, and they're young. So you're looking at all these all these teams outside of, you know, you got Brooklyn and, and even Miami's got a little bit of age, but they got the youth to go along with it. But outside of that, like these are solid cores for at least the next four to five years. For me, my most disappointing team is the New York Knicks. Um, I think in the same light as the Atlanta Hawks, I think they're 1A, 1B, however you want to look at it. The Lakers go in that category as well because of that big three. You definitely had expectations for them not to be a play-in team as of right now not to be behind Minnesota as of right now. I'm sure that'll change in the second half of the season, but even still, I'm looking at the New York Knicks and the success that they had. Would they finish fifth, 
in the Easter Conference last year. Uh, they Randall, lost five. Yeah, they, Randall was an All NBA selection, and they lost in five. You felt like they improved their roster by taking. It was a, it was a, a a win-win situation when they went and got Kimba Walker. If he doesn't pan out, so what? You didn't pay him much. You didn't give up nothing. Like it was okay to grab Kimba Walker. You paid Fournier a little more than I would have paid him, a little more than I thought he was worth. But then Julius Randle is taking a step back. And here's what happens. This is why I think a lot of people shy away from the Knicks. And they're a disappointment right now. But that fan base, that media, the New York media and that fan base is tough to play for. Because when you show them a high, that's the expectation. You raise the – see, if you progress there, boom – Julius Randle was disappointed. They were ready to trade him. Boom, now he's an all-NBA player. Okay, now we expect all-NBA play, and they are tough on their players. There is not a like there is not a grace period. They were ready to get rid of him the year going into last year. He proves yeah. them wrong, kind of shuts them up, makes the whole city fall in love with them. Like, now we got our guy. We have our all-star player. We have a guy we can build around. Let's find the pieces. Let's build in the draft. And I think they did a pretty good job in the draft. When you look at their draft picks right now. Then they even brought in uh, Cam Reddish. I think it's going to take some time. He is coming off an injury, but I think that's a nice piece. I think that's something they need. He's a 3 and D guy. I think he's more talented than a 3 and D guy, but if I gave Cam Reddish a, a comparison, I, I, Trevor Ariza. I think he reminds me a lot of Trevor Ariza because you always want to take guys like Cam Reddish and be like, what's his superstar? Like if he reaches his peak, what superstars he compared to? But you look at a guy like Trevor Ariza, remember when he was younger, he was an athlete. He could shoot. He could play defense. He could run up and down the court. He could give you, you know, a couple drives to the bucket. He'll dunk on somebody. It's That's what Cam Reddish is. Like he is Trevor Ariza when Trevor Ariza was younger. Don't forget about the Trevor Ariza that contributed to those two championships in L.A. alongside Kobe Bryant. That was a role player, but a very important piece to that. And, you know, if Kobe was here to this day, he would tell you like, yeah, I'm the guy, but Trevor Ariza and obviously Paul Gasol. We know he gives all the credit to Paul Gasol, but the way they put their team together, I think you got to wait, though. Cam Reddish is coming off an injury, but they've been very disappointing. And I think it's because they were they they exceeded expectations. They I won't say they they didn't cheat the, the rebuild. They just popped faster than you thought the rebuild would. And so now that's the expectation. We build off of that. And so now they're like, okay, we're fifth in the East. Like, it's going to be a dog fight. And, and pe- even Knicks fans that I was talking to preseason were like, we could end up being the seventh seed, but that not, might not be a knock because you might be within half a game between you, Miami, Charlotte, Chicago, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee and be the seventh seed, the, the two seed only a game ahead of you. Like, it, it come down to tiebreaker. So, but for them not to be in the playoff right now, like I said, they're they're like eight games out of first place. So, they're not far off. But I don't know if they could get it together. And this is kind of what happens with a, with a Tom Thibodeau team is that they play well early. They 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 have the first couple of years. You start to see it. You start to buy in. And then just the 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 how he plays, how he runs his organization, how he runs his system. It just gets played out for a lot of guys. It takes certain type of guys. That's why you've seen guys like like the Jimmy Butlers, the Derrick Roses, like those because you have to be a dog. 24-7. You have to have that dog mentality. There is no days off. There's no minute off. You play hard. You pride yourself on putting your butt down and playing defense. The buckets will come. 
That's his philosophy. At least that's how he coaches and that's how he builds his team. And I don't think this team is built towards that. What do you think about the Knicks? I have to give a shout out to Joaquin Noah too, man. When you talking about the Bulls doing the Thibodeau days, <laughs> yeah, 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 dogs like guys who just were dogs. Yeah, yeah. To your point, I think they were trying to do that. If you look at their roster, they got um, Nerlin Knowles, uh, who's a defensive, you know, uh, guy, uh, run protector. Um. I'm I'm looking at some stuff right now. They're tenth in total rebounds, which is dope. Um, they still the defensive minded team, but can't score buckets. They're twenty seventh. So the defensive mindset is there. They just got to find consistency with the scoring. I know Derrick Rose. You know he's you know been out. Uh, Kimba still you know going up and down. Yeah, up and down. Um, but Randall, man, I, I know I shouldn't put that much pressure on him, but like you said, as a fan, you was all oh, NBA. You learned from Kobe Bean when you came into the league and you was a Laker. So now it's no other choice but to, you know, lift this squad over that hump because you've done it. And now the thumbs down and, the, you know, Evan Fournier, he, you know, just – I don't see the same focus from Randall to help him be the all NBA player that he is to help this team and this organization get back to, you know, to the elite status as they, you know, once even last year, but the New York Knicks of, you know, obviously the seventies, but the nineties with the Ewing Starks and yeah, those guys. Yeah. And I look at, I look at Randall and he never was the star for me that, that fit New York. I mean, he popped. He gave us an all-NBA, but I think he gave us what he had. Like, that was it. That's the best you'll see, Randall. Can he keep it up consistently is the question. Like, guys have years where they pop, but then, like, when you get there and that's the expectation, can you play there consistently? Because that's what great players do. He had a great season, but great players continue that, build off of that, keep those same numbers consistently for years. They play through throughout the rest of their prime like that, and I think New York got to him. I don't think... He was built for New York, and it's not a knock on Randall, but I do think he's got a smaller market, less expectations, less cameras in your face. Go out there and play ball and make the city proud. New York is like, go out there, play ball, and make the city proud. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. We're going to let you know. We're going to get it in. It's it's even different environment now because now we got players tuning into Twitter spaces to see what's being said about them. And these, I'm sat in these Twitter spaces, these Knicks Twitter spaces. You know, I got my guy, Bankai, who, who hosts the dope Twitter spaces with New York Knicks. And I just sit back and listen. Just check the temperature. I want to hear what they're saying about their team. And it's all bad. Like, they have nothing good to say. Sometimes, guys, I'll be like, you don't know what you're talking about, but you're upset. You're, you speak from a fan perspective. And it's different for us because we speak from a, a microphone being in front of us. Our, our, our opinions matter. To, to more than your average person. Our opinions are, are graded. Our performance behind this microphone and our thought process is, is looked at a little bit differently. So I don't always speak, I don't speak from the fan perspective. I do sometimes, but for the most part, like you still got to look at it. Like I do have this podcast. If I'm going to be promoting my platform and people remember when like, bro, you didn't even make sense. You just was upset with your team, da, da, da. 
then it's like, you know, you, you got to get respect and your word is everything. And I just listen to what these Knicks fans have to say. And I'm just like, man, y'all are tough bunch to please. Like last year wasn't enough. Now you want a championship. And I understand it. Like for, for a city that hasn't had a championship in, in the NBA in how many years? I don't know. Years, you know, long, longer drought than the Cowboys. Uh, they, they want it so bad, but I think it takes a certain type of player to be there. And it's almost like, I don't know how many players in the NBA or would be ready for that. Like, you know, you have RJ Barrett, you got Cam Reddish. Now the, all right, are we getting Zion? Like, are we bringing the Duke big three back? But then you look and I know it's different in the NBA than it is in college, but like that Duke big three didn't win the national championship. I'm just saying like being a lot better than everybody, they still didn't win the national championship. Then imagine Zion goes there. He, he, he has weight issues. He, he can't stay on the court. He can't stay healthy. They will, they will, they will take advantage of that. They will talk bad about him. The memes will come out. So it's like, be careful what you ask for as a player when you go to New York, but then be careful what you wish for as a fan on who you would like to see, because when you fall in love with them, everything's all good. But the minute they disappoint you, you jump on them. They talking about this man, you know, this man, Julius Randle's wife. They talking about his kid. And it's like it, the, the fandom has gotten so crazy. And it's not just the Knicks. Fandom and sports has gotten so crazy. Social media has made these guys more accessible. That That's yes. another factor that you have to deal with when talking about going to play, going to sign here as a free agent. Do I want to deal with that fan base? I see how they trolled this player when he was there. I see what happened when they didn't, Give them the expectations, and and that's for everybody. But I mean, the Knicks have been very—I won't say very, but they've been disappointing. I said they would take a step back. I believe they would take a step back. I believe their success last year was an anomaly, and they'll go right back to where they should have been heading into this year as a rebuild. But because of the expectations a lot of other people had, because of the conversations I've had with Knicks fans, the conversations I've heard from Knicks fans. You set the expectations, and so they've disappointed you, which therefore means they have to fall in. Like, being the five seed to, as of right now, if the playoffs started, while we're about to go into the all-star break, we're already halfway through the season. If the playoffs started, you're not a playoff team. It's got to be disappointing. Like, if you go into and you don't make the playoffs this year, if you get knocked out in the play-in tournament, that's disappointing. Like, if you're not that one through eight seed playing in a seven-game series, you had a disappointing season because you took a step back. I don't care how many teams elevate it. Where you, when you're a fifth seed, not that many teams behind you should have elevated so much that they knock you down what five spots. Like even if you, you like you, you can't get knocked down five spots. Like you're nine or ten. The playing game, I get it, but then you only have to play one game. Can Can Thibodeau's philosophy get you that one win? You win one, you're playing. It's just are you the seventh or eighth seed? So if they miss the playoffs and they're not playing a seven game series, their their season will be a total total disappointment. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, that was my other choice, by the way. Yeah, that, that, that <laughs> was my two in the Lakers. Like, yeah, but because we talked about the Lakers as a whole by themselves, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm Now I'm not about to kill the Lakers. I'm a LeBron fan. I can't do that. So we're going right. to close out the show with, with fun talk, just enjoyable moments. We're going to talk about some of our favorite NBA All-Star moments. It'll be a little back and forth. You ain't got to name them all at once. So I'm going to start with you, though. One of... You talk about the all-star game. We love the dunk contest, three-point contest, the, the rising stars challenge, which just used to be the rookie sophomore game. I remember when it was just the rookie sophomore game. I remember the all-star games where they were wearing their own jerseys. 
Like, so yeah. I know you remember that, but I remember that LeBron and Melo and them played in the rookie sophomore game. Now it's the rising stars. It was USA versus the world. Now they're bringing G League Ignite into this. Like, it, it's ever evolving, which is, which is how you keep people engaged into all-star game, which is why when it comes to all-stars, like outside of maybe baseball in the home run derby, that's why this is the most exciting weekend when it's an all-star weekend for a sport. Pro Bowl has been watered down. Baseball is, uh, it's baseball, but I'm not a big baseball fan anyway. Hockey is, you know, whatever. We're in America. Hockey's not America sport like that. And then basketball, you keep us engaged. So what were, what, top of your head, what's one of your favorite NBA all-star moments? 1998, the basketball mecca, New York, man. Kobe's first all-star game and Jordan's for first retirement, his last all-star game. And what a game. Jordan versus Kobe or Kobe versus Jordan. They all wore their own jerseys, which I still – I'm still a fan of that, by the way. Why not represent your team? You yeah, know, I think so, too. I'm, I'm with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, what a game. Seeing them play competitively. One of my favorites come to mind. Um, some three-point competitions, man. Like, it's – I would even say – the one from last year, man. I think, yeah, last year when Steph won. Yeah. Like, for him to be toward the later years of his career and still doing that thing with that three ball, man, like, that's, you know, like you said, the All-Star, it's a lot of them. Some skills, challenge. When Tony Parker won, I'm a Spurs fan. I'm being biased right now. Oh. <laughs> well, when D-Wade won, because I'm a Heat fan, so when D-Wade won his skills challenge, like, I remember that. Yeah. It's a lot of them, man. But, yeah, those well, are let, few that comes to my mind. So let me ask you this, then. We talked dunk contests. We seen arguably the greatest dunk contest a few years ago. A couple of Levin, years ago. Is – it, and you've been around for you've been around for enough of them because me it could just my age could show, and I know the props make people you know the old school guys it, like ah well they had props they weren't using props back then but at the same time like the athleticism back then wasn't shown as often so therefore like the dunks some of the dunks back then I don't take away from them great the, the Dominiques and and Jordans and you know I don't take away from none of those guys but it was new. The, the athleticism was new. Now you have to bring in props because if you just go solely, a lot of those guys could do a lot of those dunks back then. Every dunker in the dunk contest could repeat most of Jordan's dunks, most of Dominique Wilkins' dunks. But would it look as great? No, especially because the nostalgia of it. But was was Levine and Aaron Gordon, in your opinion, the greatest dunk contest back and forth you ever seen? Period. No, No question. No question. And and then Aaron Gordon with Derrick Jones. Like, them my dunking contest to where it should have been a co-champ where they both one end to the other end. They hold that dunk contest trophy. But, yes, Levine and Gordon was the greatest dunking contest I've ever seen. Yeah, and, man, I remember watching it, and it was like, you know, they started out hot, and you're like, okay. Okay, but they're not going to keep it going because, you know, in between that, we had some dead dunk contests, essentially. So it was like, all right, like 
can this be great? Can Aaron Gordon, who's six foot nine, six foot nine, six foot ten, can a guy of his size really, you know, we saw Dwight Howard do it, but with the props and the whole Superman. We saw Blake Griffin jump over the car, been the face of Kia ever since. Uh, so we've seen things like that. Seen Nate Robinson come and kind of pull out kryptonite when he battled against Dwight Howard. So they made it fun. But <laughs> the dunks, like Aaron Gordon caught it. Like he he grabbed it and sat in a chair and, and boom. Zach Levine windmills, you know, from, from the free throw line and then puts it in between his legs from the free throw line. Aaron Gordon does a 360 tomahawk, you know what I'm saying? Like windmill. It was that dunk contest to me. Like, I don't know if there's a matchup right now that I could see that being repeated. For the simple fact, not all the best dunkers compete in the dunk contest. That's been a thing that's watered it down a little bit. We never saw LeBron James compete in a dunk contest. I do have my theory on why, but, you know, and he's teased us and said he would, and I, I think he kept that away because that'll never be something Jordan fans have over him. How many dunk contests Jordan won compared to LeBron and even Kobe? Like, I think he stayed away from that because that can't hamper his argument. It could help him, but if he can't win it, that'll hurt, that'll hamper his argument and his GOAT case. Uh, so I think that's why he's kind of stayed away from it. But it, it has been, we've had the watered down years, like where I remember uh, what, Gerald Green, where it was an impressive dunk, but that was one of the best dunks in dunk contests when he blew out the, the, the candle on the cupcake. And I'm like, yeah, it was, it was impressive when you really think about what it takes for an athlete to be able to do that. But that's not fun. It wasn't that exciting. Like it was a basic dunk. The prop of being able to blow out the candle is what made us look at it. So another moment that I think about is the, the downward spiral of Brandon Knight. And it started when Kyrie Irving in the rookie sophomore, the Rising Stars game, crossed him up, uh, uh, made him fall face first and hit the jumper in his face. That was the downward spiral of Brandon Knight. Like, and I watched. Knight. Yeah, like I watched Brandon Knight uh, in high school. I went to the game when him and Austin Rivers played against each other. Like this dude was a big deal coming out of Florida. Huge deal coming out of Florida. Obviously went to Kentucky. Great player at Kentucky for the year that he played. But he was a huge deal coming out of Florida. One of the best players I've ever seen like in person at a young age. Like he was one of the best players I've ever seen. Him and Austin Rivers and probably Bradley Bill. Those are three best players I've seen at a prior to them being NBA players live in person. And then it just seemed like from then on, his career highlights are all getting dunked on. Because I think it started with Kyrie and it ended with DeAndre Jordan and then everything in between. Like that was the, when you think about Brandon Knight, you think about when Kyrie put the move on him in Rise of Stars and then you'd be like, man, what's the last memory you have of Brandon Knight? And it's like, I remember when he got dunked on by DeAndre Jordan. And then you have all the other hiccups in between. So I do think that's one of those, like ever since that dunk, or ever since, you know, well, ever since the dunk, his career has been over, essentially. But ever since he got sauced up, he was never looked at the same. It was almost like Brandon Knight was a joke. <laughs> That's real. And then also, man, too, the Iverson, um, Stefan Marbury, when them guys was playing their butt off when they was down and they came back to end up winning. I'm trying to look that up right now. Um, let me see. That's another one. While we talk about uh, historic all-star moments, here we go right here. 2001 NBA All-Star Game. Yep, they were down. 
I can't remember, but they was down going into the fourth quarter, and them boys put on the show to uh, to come back and win. Yep, Iverson and Stephon Marbury, man, them two were going at it because uh, Marbury was with the Nets at the time, and I, uh, Iverson was with Philly, so them two yeah. put on the show to help the East uh, win that game back in 2001. And there's been a few shows put on. You remember Kobe dunked on LeBron? Now, it wasn't face-to-face, yes. but when LeBron yeah. – came trailing and, and got there just in time to be dunked on. But it wasn't that like Kobe came down the lane looking for blood, but it was on that fast break. Uh, Kobe dunked on LeBron. Kobe and, and D Wade had like, not a, I'll, I'll say back and forth where they were trading buckets and then it got, you know, competitive. Uh, I think D Wade ended up, uh, did, he didn't break Kobe's nose, but he, he, he made him leak from his nose and it was an accident but Kobe came up to him and was like, I love that. In an all-star game, was like, I love that. Because they they brought out the yeah. they brought out the competitiveness between them two. You know, when, when they were playing trading buckets. Uh, I mean, man, when you talk about the all-star game, it's almost like there's moments around that you forget about. Cause they there's always those. So I ask you before we close out, in in just one that's off the top of your head, what was the most overrated dunk? You ever seen in a dunk contest that got way too much love? I know it's tough. I got mine on top of my head. That's why I asked that question. The most overrated dunk in a dunking contest. Yeah, you'll agree with mine. I know you'll agree with mine. You was tall. You was dunking. I'm sure you would have been able to do that dunk in a dunk contest as well. So I give you mine. <laughs> I give you mine while you think. Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin jumping over the Kia. He jumped over the hood of the car and got a 50 yeah. and got a Kia yeah. deal and probably walked out in that Optima because he jumped over the hood of the car. Had he jumped over the roof? I, 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 hey, great dunk. But he jumped over the hood. Like, to me, he did something everybody in that dunk contest could have did. Had they rolled out a, a Chevy Camaro and jumped over the hood of the Camaro, everybody could have did that. And this got one of the guys would have got a Camaro deal for the rest of their life. Like, that's that's essentially what Blake Griffin did. He jumped over the hood. It's not that I can't respect it because I can't do it. But when I'm evaluating it with the rest of the dunkers, all of them could have did it. And all he did was catch an alley. And you know what it was? It was a poster perfect moment. That's why he ended up getting it because it was a poster perfect because the picture is dope, but he did just jump over the hood and it was so, man, it was so overrated to this day. It was so overrated. I I, I give it, I'd have gave it a 30. I'd have gave it a, nah, bro, you, you're not getting that, but he got a Kia deal out of it. So you can't hate like man got a Kia deal out of it was the face of Kia for some years. Uh, up until recently at this point. So I can't hate on it. I just think it was overrated. And then you look at the, the outcome from it. Yeah, it was it was overrated. Well, that's good. I appreciate that, that, that uh, Ali, you, because I'm about to finish it. For me, in my years of watching All-Star Weekend, especially the dunking contest, those players who attempt to dunk from the free throw line, it's been <laughs> at least 10. Yeah. So, yes. You'd be like, bruh. It's been some 45s. I think it may have been a few 48s. But I still think if you didn't touch, if you didn't do the actual free throw line and the judge is still ranked it high, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're close, because they whole foot. They whole foot be ahead of it. They heel don't even be touching the free throw line. They be a whole step in front of it, and then they just do, and it's just a regular dunk. Can, Can your typical dunkers do it? No, but... Everybody in the dunk, 
most people in the dunk contest can do a step, fly up there, and all they're doing is cocking it back. Now, when Zach Levine did it and did a tama, like did a windmill, okay, you shook it up a little bit. Foot was a little in front of the line, but you did a windmill with it, so I'm gonna give you credit. Then you went and did it, and you're like, ah, oh, you thought that was great. Now I'm gonna put it in between my legs from the free throw line. I'll give you that if it's your foot's in front of it, a step in front of when you're doing something else. But when you just cocking it back, I'm like, man, guys do that in, in the game. Like, I've seen LeBron jump from close to the free throw line. I've seen Giannis reach and dunk from close to the free throw line. Like, I've seen him come from the wing, two dribble, spin move, one step from the free throw line and dunk it. Like, I've seen Jordan do that in the game. Like, obviously his was monumental, but I've seen these guys do what we see in the free throw line in the game. So, I definitely agree with you. Is like those those free throw, especially the more you see it, the more overrated it becomes. Because like, okay, we're starting to get the feel that like everybody could do this now. He put it between the legs, and it got to a point. I said, and and I, so this is where I agree with you because it got to a point. I said, the free throw line is about to be very under overrated, and people are now about to, have to start jumping from the three point line or doing three sixties in windmills. From from the free throw line, if they're if they're gonna jump from the free throw line, they gotta start doing three sixties or windmills or whatever. And here comes Zach Levine. Like, see, it was overrated. So let me show you how to how to keep it going and keep the free throw line alive. And I was like, next is like, okay, Zach Levine did that. Next is like, if a guy ain't jumping from the three point line, don't even waste your time doing that. Like, I'd rather you get ten chairs, go get Shaq and jump over him or something, because it, it it does become overrated. Uh, giving guys their credit from jumping over uh going over the free throw line. So before we close out, I'm going to give you the floor, plug your shows, plug your social media and tell everybody where they can follow you. Well, appreciate y'all, man, rocking with us for uh, for this good hour, man, of great content. Mo, appreciate you, brother, for for inviting me, man. This was fun. This was definitely fun. Um, Twitter, uh, Instagram, my personal page at It's DMurph. You can find uh, Why Not Sports, wherever you listen to most podcasts on streaming platforms. Uh, also, Why Not Sports has an Instagram page at Why Not Sports uh, underscore. And then from there, you can check out my website, www.dmurfspeaks.com. See what I've been up to. Uh, leave a note. Check out what I've been up to, man. And uh, if you have any questions or feedback, I'm always open, man. Always open. So appreciate it, man. Thank you all for tuning in. Yeah, 100%. And I appreciate you for coming on. Appreciate everybody for listening. As always, you can follow me uh, at Other Players Pod on Instagram, at Mo underscore Cheese 15 on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you go subscribe to UpperFlamesPod.substack.com. Uh, that's where all the shows go. They also go on any platform, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you listen to your podcast, you, you can definitely listen to Up in Flames. So I appreciate everybody for tuning in, listening. And on that note, Up in Flames is out.